Hi everyone, I'm Greg Mutasevich. When I'm not co-hosting Robots from Tomorrow with Mike Romeo for Multiversity Comics, I'm writing their monthly comic book binding column, Shelfbound. And from now until June 5th, I'm auctioning off a different, custom-bound volume of comics from my collection every weekday to benefit the Hero Initiative. Auctions start at $25 and run for three days. Some of the binds up for auction include Alan Moore's Miracle Man, colored Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles graphic novels, and the launch of Milestone Comics, signed and sketched by Dennis Cowan. Follow Multiversity Comics on Twitter and keep checking out the site every day to see what other comics we're pulling out of the long boxes and putting on bookshelves for charity. Maybe your bookshelf. Back to the Mighty Boosh cast. My name is Brian. With me, as always, are Vincent Zach. Oh, wait, no. Sorry. They're trying to get me to watch something instead of do our actual, That's a goo. That's our actual a goo. podcast. So uh, it's the DC3 cast. I'm Brian. Still with me are Vincent Zach. Uh, hello, everybody. We are going to be talking about Armageddon 2001 tonight. So um, before we go any further, uh, Vince or Zach, had either of you ever read anything in this series or sort of about this series before we started? I've never read it, read much about it. I had as much of it spoiled for me as the readers who were reading it in 1991 did. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I know the, the storied history behind the twist and the last-minute change to the twist. Uh, that, the that's untwist. it, I had, The untwist. The retwist. I had never read... Well, I guess I read the Detective Comics annual in my in my Detective Comics reading, but uh, that would have that would have been it, and I would have had zero context for it. So I had read, um, <laughs> I had read one of the sequel series to it, um, the Inferno series, because excuse me, I had I've been doing a JSA read through, and that is the event that brings the JSA back from the sort of weird limbo purgatory they were in for a couple of years. And so I had read that, and I, I kind of gave myself like a, a Wikipedia refresher on what Armageddon 2001 was so that I could try and understand Inferno, and it didn't work at all. So, <laughs> um, But, you know, I remember when this was actually coming out in, in comic shops. I was like eight or nine, and I was reading comics at this time. So I remember the event vaguely, but I don't think I read any of it then. And like you guys, I kind of knew about the, the untwist at the end of it. Um but what I was not aware of when I started this was the creative team on the first issue being uh, Archie Goodwin, Dan Jurgens, and Dick Giordano. That's a pretty – that's like a classic DC lineup there, mm -hmm. the first issue. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Was the creative team I, – I meant to double-check. I, I didn't. Was the creative team different for the second issue? It was. Uh, yeah. Well – We'll we'll get to it. I felt like there was a stark contrast in quality between the first and the second issue. Absolutely, <laughs> and I don't I don't mean to speak ill of a legend, but Denny O'Neill was not the scripter Archie Goodwin was. 
Oh, O'Neill did the second issue. Yeah. I didn't even notice that. Oh my yeah. goodness. Well, we'll get to it. Yeah. So let's just <laughs> talk about the format of this event first of all. There are two bookend issues that tell the main story, and then there are a number of annuals that fall in between that tell specific versions of, or that tell specific possibly possible alternate futures of these characters by seemingly the regular creative team for those books, or at least the regular writers for those books. Um, now, without looking, how long do you guys think passed between the publication of issue one and issue two? I was going to guess one like, month. A month. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Are you mispronouncing six months? <laughs> no, no, no. You're kidding. Okay. Me. Sorry, five months. Five months. My apologies. Yeah, I thought the same thing. I had thought, you know, again, I'm I'm thinking with with 2020 brain here that okay, they there was a a month where they had a fifth Wednesday, and so they did a month of annuals, and so maybe this was like you know the third week in May, and then the fifth week was the annual issue, and then the third week in June would have been the second issue, but no, uh, May 91 is the first issue's cover date. October 91 is the second issue's cover date. Wow. Which makes a lot of sense for the twist part of it, because part of me was thinking, like, so let's get into it, okay? We're not going to reveal the characters yet, because I guess maybe there's someone listening who hasn't read this and doesn't want to be spoiled just yet. But the, the story was written that there was going to be a hero revealed to be the villain, and then there used to be a – and this is coming from a Dan Jurgens interview I dug up – that there was a 900 number that existed where comic fans could call in and get, like, comic secrets. And um, the 900 number said, like, hey, uh, this, this hero is going to be the villain of Armageddon 2001. And they panicked and wrote <laughs> a new ending so that people wouldn't be spoiled by this 900 number. Now, you got to realize... Wait a minute. Did the 900 number connect them to Scott Snyder? No, it did not. <laughs> uh, it's, a, it's an inside joke for longtime listeners. Um, but so the... Um, what's crazy to me about this is I can understand in 2020 if... If, if there was an event, I'm trying to think of an example. All right, so if if Death Metal has a secret villain, and Scott, Scott Snyder's already somebody, spoiled it, and Scott Snyder spoiled it to somebody, like never happen. It would never happen, of course. Uh, that would spread like wildfire all over the internet, right? In '91, the internet wasn't a functional thing for most comic fans, and. Wizard, the comic book guy from The Simpsons was the only one who would find out. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and unless it was published in Wizard, and I didn't do research to see like if Wizard did an article like according to this 900 number, but even then, like that pretty much is only going to spread to people who read Wizard or people who hang out in comic shops. Like this wasn't going to get. I don't know. It just seems to me like this was a time when there was still a lot of people buying comics from from spinner racks in supermarkets or whatever. And it just seems like the impact wouldn't have been that deep of this of this reveal. So they change it to something that makes absolutely no sense. Uh, for a couple of reasons it makes no sense. And right. that is the legacy of this of this event is just the botched ending of it. Um so do you guys agree that that seems like an overreaction for the time? Mm -hmm. Changing yeah. the event an overreaction? Yes. 
Yeah, yes, definitely. And I specifically, maybe even a bigger overreaction is how they eventually, um, like, retconned it, which I was reading about today, and I want to talk about that at the end. Oh, yes. my God. I can't wait for you to go off on that. Yeah, that's yeah. going to be fun. That's going to be fun. So, yeah, this is a, this is a, a mess, but I, I'm going to say... I think there's a lot of missed opportunity here. I think that first issue is actually pretty good. Agreed. I thought the first issue was really good. I agree, too. It's, like, very moody, and it's... I have in my notes here that it's almost like a... There's almost like a Blade Runner, like, that, that like, CD 70s or 80s sci-fi feel to it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I, I was really digging the tone at first, and I was like, "Well, I know, I know this gets bad because otherwise more <laughs> people would talk." But but the first issue, I thought, "Hmm, this is really, I dig whatever this is." Yeah, yeah, it was the first image of the Vince McMahon gif, <laughs> where, yes, was, where he's like sort of shifting in his yeah. seat and yeah, kind of looking up. Yeah, kind of, he's, yeah. he's yeah. pondering. Yeah. It was that. This could be good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it begins in a very moody, very stylized place where we basically see like the end of 2001, a space odyssey, where there's yeah. this, you know, there's this being in space and and we see it form. And then we see this series of images of a child being pulled out of the rubble of a disaster and you don't know who's pulling him out. At various points, you think. You see, you see the hand of Superman, of Hal Jordan, of Captain Adam, and then you see Batman, then you see Firestorm, and, um, you know, you're just, there's this mystery being set up, and then we're instantly sent forward in time, or not forward in time, we're, we're, we're instantly brought to a time that we don't recognize yet. Superman's a little bit older, he's fighting Batman in, like, a mech suit, but both... It's super- very- Dark Knight Returns. It is, but both of them are towering over the skyscrapers. Like, it is, they are huge characters in here. And Wonder Woman shows up and she is equally large. And, you know, there's just this, it's this really interesting vision of of a potential future where Darkseid is like ten times the size of these giant heroes. And we're just given a lot of interesting visuals with not a lot of questions answered, and then we see this cataclysmic event that wipes out all the heroes. And that sets us into 2030, where we meet Matthew Ryder, who is a... Um, he, he works for the government, he's a scientist, and this part of the issue felt a little bit paint-by-numbers, like, how many how many protagonists have we seen that are this guy? The guy who's who is tired of the way things are now he longs for the way things used to be he sneaks out and like buys old floppy disks of superhero information um it's very much if you guys have ever seen the great mystery science theater episode of overdrawn at the memory bank this is essentially over starring raul julia this is essentially (laughs) overdrawn at the memory bank um but it's all handled really well and Archie Goodwin, who is a legend. If you guys don't know Archie Goodwin, he was an editor at DC for many, many years and is legitimately one of the best to ever do that job. And he does a really nice job of, in a, in a reasonably short time, setting up the world of 2030. 
Uh, do you guys have any comments on any of this before we move on? Well, yeah, just one quick thing. Uh, maybe you're going to get to this, but um, you know, you talked about how he's kind of the generic uh, sci-fi everyman sort of main character. Uh, I agree with that. I think the thing that makes it a little interesting that gets completely dropped as soon as this issue is over is the the family that. Yes, well, I, I was gonna, I was it. I was going to get to that in a few minutes. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll let you. But but yeah, that that's kind of the twist that gives this a, a little bit of depth. And then, and then it's unfortunate because it's, like, never dealt with again. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Zach, anything to add before we move on? Um, just just that the art is spectacular, I well, think. Th- this just very is... good early Dan Jurgens art. And I, I, I love Jurgens the artist. Yes. I really do. I, I'm going to get to that more in a second, but I do want to say that I read, um, as part of my Shazam read-through, I read a bunch of comics inked by Dick Giordano. And he is so good. He, he even pencils a few issues of that Power of Shazam series. But the issues that he inked are among my favorite of that series. And, um, you know, I, I just think that this is one of those examples of a a penciler who's doing great work. But then an inker who knows how to highlight that work and elevate that work. Because this, this first issue especially just looks gorgeous. And there's a lot of characters... He has to draw the colors and, too. Who did who did oh, the colors? Yeah, the colors are done by. We should ignore the colorist, obviously. Um, sorry, one second. Yeah, because the col- the colors in this thing really add to the moody, uh, sort of you know ki- pseudo Blade Runner feel that I was kind of getting off of this first issue. Anthony Tallin, oh, who's done I think a fair amount of stuff, uh, as a as a colorist, let's see here. I'm on the DC wiki, uh, and it looks like he's colored 500 plus issues for DC. So obviously he's done something, but it is, it's hard to tell what his most recent stuff he's done for DC is, but excellent work. Thank you for uh, pointing out that glaring omission there for me, Vince. Um, so anyway, we, we then, we then meet the family of Matthew Ryder. And so, they are very much this um, this family that are very happy to be living in this new, more sanitized world. And Matthew seems to be, I don't know if daydreamer is the right word, but somebody who's just more nostalgic for the past and doesn't like things as sort of sanitized. And, um, you know, the, the, world, the world seems to be a fairly... Uh, miserable place to live if you don't agree with the sort of totalitarian aspects of this um you know of this uh of this regime or whatever whatever we're calling it so the the daughter is a cop what do they call them they're not called cops they're called peacemakers, um, peacemakers yeah. yes which again is a dc name uh mm-hmm. hey remember when there was that peacemaker backup in uh Ah, damn, that was really good. Yeah, but you were just saying about how you don't care if new comics ever come back. So um... Uh, That was off-the-air conversation. Thank you very much. I care very much about new comics coming back. I am a brave man, and I don't care. God, Zach, you're a mercenary. Anyway, so... No, no, I want... I I only care because I want people to have jobs. I'm like I'm twitching, but also 
I want us to move on to a society where our livelihood is not based on our labor. So <laughs> I'm I'm conflicted. Nice save. Yeah. So anyway, uh, so we meet Matthew's family, and you know his son is about to go off to college, and he's trying to convince his son to basically do something daring with his college years, and his son is like, "Nope, I'm just gonna take the easy path." And his wife's like, yeah, of course, you don't you don't challenge stuff. And the daughter says, like, my job is to make sure people don't challenge stuff, you derp. And um, you can see that he is really at odds with who his family has become. But he has a, a real love for them. And his love for his family is what sort of sets this whole event in motion. So we find out that there is this person, Saul, uh, called Monarch, who is... The one who wiped out all the heroes in 2001 and is ruling the world basically from a satellite in space. And, um, you know, no one knows how much he interferes anymore, if he's just sort of a myth that people use to keep everyone in line. But this all comes to a head when Matthew is on his way, I forget if it's to or from work, and he sees the peacemakers trying to shoot a terrorist, as they call it. And there's a little girl who is got separated from her parents and she's crying and he's right in the line of fire and Matthew runs and saves her and essentially gets arrested for this. And the terrorist that they were going after is the old man who sold him the floppies on the superheroes and you know he's he's labeled a terrorist because he has political stuff in his uh, shop. Yeah. It's almost kind of like uh it's in, like implied to be like a minority report style precog you know, mm-hmm. they, they're going after people who are show potential to be dissidents, you know, or who yeah. like, yeah. Yeah. And that'll play into some of the tie ins in, in a somewhat interesting fashion. But, um, but yeah, this, this whole thing, ah, that's why I like this first issue so much because it really does remind you of like the minority report, um, premise, S- you know, something like Blade Runner or even like, Something like, uh, uh, you know, those like seventies paranoid thrillers, like the yeah. Parallax View and stuff like that. Like where the where the main character is on to some conspiracy, or 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 everything seems normal to everybody except for him, you know, and he's got to uncover it. And I wish this would have gone down that road instead of basically doing nothing with that. With the it does not it it it, it advances the plot towards figuring out the mystery but it doesn't do anything to advance the tone from this first issue. Right, right. Um, and so uh, Matthew gets off because his daughter is a peacemaker, and she basically says, like, you know... <laughs> that was a weird sentence. Well, <laughs> gets off of the crime, not... Zach's been in isolation too yeah, long. I was going to say. <laughs> we, have, we have established that our group chat is a safe place for horny thoughts. I don't know if the podcast is necessarily a safe place for horny thoughts. Ooh, ooh, that wasn't a horny thought. <laughs> oh, uh, it wasn't. You made it into yes, a horny thought. <laughs> um, uh, look anyway. at me getting off. <laughs> <laughs> So, so Matthew then basically commits himself to trying to figure out time travel because uh, Monarch is trying to fund this time travel program and the department that is doing it is not doing a great job. And so he, he figures out basically the way to do this. And then to get Monarch's attention, 
he tortures a statue of him, which is, uh, you know, a pretty, a pretty actually fun way to do this. I thought I really enjoyed this sequence a lot. And yeah, then... well, like earlier in the issue, like in his monologue, he, you know, they, he talks about how like there's like. Uh, you know, kind of like urban legend or whatever that the statues are like the eyes of Monarch and that he is, you know, up there watching the video feed of all the statues, kind of like Ozymandias style. Um, which, which was kind of fun. Interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. Um, again, all of this, all of these are nice little touches that really build this overall story up. And uh, so then he, uh, Monarch pulls Matthew onto his satellite, basically says, what you doing, Derp? And, uh, you know, Monarch convinces him, uh, Monarch is convinced, rather, to let to let Ryder try to be the one to, to time travel. And Ryder's, uh, basically, his motivation for this is that he hates the world they're living in so much because Monarch has removed all joy and you know, um, expression and especially the heroes. Matthew really misses the heroes. And that that is really well laid here because of how he was pulled out of the rubble by a hero, but he doesn't know what hero it was. And so he just has this sort of general, I don't want to say obsession, that's too strong of a word, but this general love of heroes. And I think that it's handled really well. And his motivation for wanting to change the future is to make the lives of his family better which is a very noble thing to do and also doesn't I think sometimes these comics go to these extremes to give the heroes like the most dire circumstances ever that they have to prevent and he's really not trying to prevent the world from ending or anything like that he just wants a better life for his family he recognizes the whole world will be better because of that but it's really because of his family and I enjoyed that aspect mm-hmm yeah, well, it's interesting, though, because he, he kind of has to, like, there's this weird mental battle between him and Monarch where Monarch is trying to, like, and maybe maybe I misread this, but I got the impression he was trying to convince Monarch that he loved his family so much that that would be kind of the collateral to keep him in line and to keep yes. him from betraying Monarch, but he's kind of just, like, he does love his family but he hates the way they are yes. and so he kind of has to like trick the monarch trick monarch into thinking that he loves his family basically yeah. um through there and it's depicted uh, you know this mental battle is depicted uh through this kind of physical struggle is all like illustrated really well um yeah, not not the kind of thing you see in superhero comics that often. No, no, definitely not. Um, then, you know, he convinces Monarch of this, or at least seemingly convinces Monarch of this. Monarch puts him into the Quantum Leap Accelerator, and Sam leaps home each leap, hoping to be the one that brings him home. Um, sorry, it's a Quantum Leap reference. But yeah, he, he basically goes into the Quantum Leap Accelerator, and then comes out as Wave Rider. Which is, you know, this character who uh, they admit later kind of looks like Firestorm, um, <laughs> but you know, he he, um, he is traveling through the time stream, and he shows up uh, with the ability to not just time travel, but also change his appearance when he does time travel. So we see him in this issue time travel and become like uh, take the appearance of a police officer, and then um, you know 
basically change a crook's life to make him go straight. And then his mission is that he is going to encounter every one of these heroes because he knows that one of the heroes betrays everyone else and becomes monarch. So he's going to basically investigate and find out how find out what happened to each of these heroes in the future. When he touches them, he sees one of their potential futures. So he's going to figure this out and then stop Monarch from ever becoming the supervillain and therefore saving the future for his family. It's a really good first issue. Mm-hmm. Just like paging through it again now, it's a really, really solid first issue. Um, yeah. Solid premise, solid setup. The, again, the tone is just great. Yes. Um, so what we'll do now is we'll go through each of the annuals. Uh, Vince and I read all the annuals put together. I didn't read all of them. Vince read everything. I read most of them. Zach read a couple. And so we'll, we'll just but we'll take Between turns. all of us, we read all the annuals. That is true. Yeah. Yep. That's... <laughs> That's a great way of stating it. Also, between Vince, yes. we read all the I annuals. Gave him the he read all the annuals. I um, read those pieces of shit that come after too. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's your own fault, there, bud. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so okay, so the first annual we have is the uh, Superman annual number three, and we're not gonna go through creative teams. We're just gonna basically give like highlights from each of these annuals. So in this story. Superman basically cannot stop a nuclear explosion from destroying Metropolis, and it fucks up his life. He winds up marrying Lana Lang, but basically he says, like, it isn't the issue, like, he doesn't really love her, he's just looking for comfort, and um, and he becomes sort of the stereotypical fascist Superman that we've seen in so many other stories. Um, but the, the thing I want to talk about this is, at the end of the issue... He is killed by Batman and Robin, who use a kryptonite ring that Batman was given by Superman in case he ever goes nuts. And it's a pretty moving scene, the scene of, of Superman's death. Would you agree with that, Vince? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I Actually, as a rule, I kind of liked the Superman tie-in issues. Um, this is sort of the golden age of Superman so, at DC. Yeah. So I, I read that this was supposed to be like a Dark Knight's Return homage. Yes, like it's very inverse, much... Like an inverse Dark Knight Returns. Yep. Yeah. I yep, there's the... Re- yeah, it's the focus is on Superman, but then Batman comes in at the end, and yeah, it very much is that, for sure. No, I said I wasn't going to do creative teams, but I'll, I'll, I think it's unfair to not mention the creative teams for this. So this was written by Dan Jurgens and illustrated by Dusty Abel. Or a bell. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it, it's not a bad issue. This is one of the better annuals that we got. No, I th- I think it's interesting because, <clears throat> well, actually, every one of the Superman annuals involves uh, Clark marrying Lois. You mean in Lana? some way? No, Lois. Because he marries Lana here. Yeah, but he's married to Lois. At oh, the... I, I, I see what you're saying. Okay, yes. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. Right. And then Lois dies, so, and then he marries. Yeah. So, or, so I have a question. Okay. Yeah. To the, those who have read these tie-ins, the one tie-in that I read, which we'll get to eventually, kind of posits the idea that every time Wave Rider touches someone and sees their future, 
he changes the future by intervening essentially like his by by seeing the future he changes the future is that the what have what allows there to be all these like superman alternate futures yes okay be- well that that but also like spoiler alert there's a part near the end of all of this where they they ask wave rider about the reveal which i won't mention yet but and they they say i but i thought you saw uh every possible outcome and he goes no i saw like a dozen outcomes there could there's millions of possible outcomes it's a really lazy way to undo (laughs) all the fucking annuals we just read (laughs) yeah exactly like oh so there's millions of possibilities how could you possibly think you were gonna like what was the point of looking at 12 what was the point yeah what was the point of looking at like 12 of them if you couldn't see the other mil? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And what that, was the point of that? Is, that is not really stated in any of the annuals until the Justice League Europe one. <laughs> because it's because it sets up the cover up, really. Like, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Anywho, um, that, there's your answer, Zach. Yes, there's okay. millions of possible outcomes, and that's how it's all explained away. Yeah, that's how that's how there's multiple Superman issues, multiple Batmans. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of Batman, the next annual is Batman annual number 15, written by Alan Grant, illustrated by Jim Fern. Uh, So this issue, I had texted Vince and Zach and said, Batman annual 15 is basically Batman White Knight because (laughs) uh, the Joker is cured and gets out of jail and has a late night talk show. So it's basically the Batman White Knight plus the Joker movie. Uh, yeah. equals Batman Animal 15. And um, so Batman accidentally kills Penguin while fighting him and basically says, like, my rules are I don't kill. I killed, therefore I am going to jail. And he's sentenced to the death penalty. And then he's visited in jail by Anarchy, who basically sneaks him out, which is never really explained why Batman has gone against the I was incriminated for the I, I was I was convicted for this I should pun be punished for it. Even well, he ser- it. he served his time, kind of. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> it was five days or whatever. Yeah, exactly. But... Um, but yeah, and then he escapes and uh, yada yada. Well, you know what it is. So many villains constantly escape from Arkham that Batman just thinks that that's how jail works. <laughs> Maybe that's it. Yeah, you, you just get to leave it after a few days. Yeah, um, but basically, also the Joker kills himself in the in the fight against Batman, which is pretty dark. Um, this issue wasn't bad. It, it it's not my favorite Batman story, but it's it's fine. Would you agree with that, Vincey? Yeah, I mean, this one doesn't blow the doors off, but at this point, you know, it was the second annual. I was kind of grooving on it, and I was like, you know, th- this might not be as bad as everybody said. Right. Um, so the third annual is the uh, Justice League America, not Justice League of America. This is when there was Justice League Europe and Justice League America going on. And uh, this one is written by Keith Giffen and J.M. DeMatteis. And there are a bevy of artists on it. Keith Giffen, Steve Carr, Chris Sprouse, Derek Robertson, Marshall Rogers, Kevin McGuire, Dan Jurgens, Joe Phillips, Ty Templeton, and Linda Medley. Early Chris Sprouse on this. Yes, very early Chris Sprouse. So um, this issue, as well as the Justice League Europe issue, does this really annoying thing where whenever um, 
Whenever Wave Rider touches one of the characters, he thinks contact. <laughs> it happens every single time. And we see him touching them, and he still says contact each time. And, uh, yeah, I don't really get it. That's him whispering ASMR into the <laughs> into the person's ear. Yeah. Um, Vince, you want to kind of describe the general structure of this issue? Um, yeah, well, so... <clears throat> Basically, Wave Rider goes around to the various Justice League of America characters and touches them and sees possible futures, but like different possible. Am I right about that? Like different possible no, futures. No, th- this than... is this is all the same potential future. Oh, so I'm I'm thinking of Justice League Europe. Justice League Europe is when they're all through time. We'll talk about that later. Um, okay. Yeah, this is like so. For instance, Blue Beetle sells the name Blue Beetle, and becomes the um, what is it? Is it the Silverfish? <laughs> yeah. Something? Why, why did Why did I think he was touching multiple members? He was, but he's seeing, that... but he's seeing the future that's connecting all of them. Like oh, this... they're all the same. Okay. Yes. Okay. Okay. That's weird. Yeah. That, um... that also kind of breaks. The, like, why would he? Why would he always see the same future? Exactly, I don't know. Yeah. But we said like Guy Gardner is running for office as like a basically as Trump, where he's just like he doesn't take shit off nobody, and he's telling it like it is, and then he turns into a nice guy and loses all of his support. Um, and him and so, Ace get back together. As you do. Hey, explain to me. I, I I flipped through this one, and I noticed in one part everyone had Guy Gardner bowl cuts. What's up with that? I forget why. Hang on, I'm I'm scrolling through to find it now. Because... Well, it's just like how it's cool now for everyone to have Trump hair. Yeah, <laughs> or, or wear their ties really long. Um, but yeah, so we we see all these different. Like we see Mr. Miracle is back to being a uh, like an entertainer as an escape artist, and we basically see all of the um, all the futures connect. But again, none of these people. Are uh, are the are the um, are monarch, and so he just decides to piece him out of here. And then the last person he touches, I believe, is Maxwell Lord, who was in a coma during this time. And uh, that's kind of a fun story because that that's in a coma. I know. (laughs) (laughs) That's kind of it's kind of a fun story to see how uh, the the Max Lord story. But anyway. I kind of like this issue. I thought this was one of the fun annuals too, just because of how like this is one of the futures that goes the weirdest. You know, like uh, Guy Gardner running for office, or um, you know, Blue Beetle becoming the Silverfish, all that sort of stuff. Like all of that is is just you know, uh, John Jones becomes like a basically. Um, the inventor of the quickie mart in the Simpsons, we have to climb the mountain to like go talk to him. Um, you know, all these characters just do interesting, weird things. And I, I like that. I think some of these issues go a little bit too boring in what the future kind of look like. And this issue doesn't do that. So I enjoyed this issue for that reason. Yeah. I'm just, I, I need to confess if I haven't already on this show that I'm just not a Keith Giffen fan. Like, I think I like his cosmic stuff, so I liked like Invasion. I thought was really good. Over at Marvel, I love his cosmic stuff over there. I don't the anytime like he's 
trying to do like a sense of humor thing or like the whole bahaha thing. Like in theory, I like these characters, but I just can't like I he and I have different ideas of what constitutes funny. I think. And do you uh, find that to be true of the early JLI issues? Yeah, yeah. I'm talking about the whole okay bahaha thing. Yeah, I really like the beginning of that book. Yeah. That's a whole other story. It just doesn't. It doesn't connect with me. I get it. I get it. Don't worry. I see why. I see why it would. I see why there's appeal there. But like, it's the same with the ambush bug stuff. I've never gotten ambush bug because like, to me, it's like one or two good jokes in a, a twenty page just mess of just throwing shit at the wall. And it feels like you're saying that because you know I've been looking for one issue of ambush bug on eBay lately. <laughs> I bought them all so nobody would read them. <laughs> no, there's a faux who's who issue. And so oh. uh, for my who's who binds, I need that issue. You got to have it. Got to have it. Um, okay, so next up is the Hawk World Annual, which is a fucking snoozeroony. Um, Ooh, bully. Written by John Ostrander, illustrated by uh, Gary Quappitz, which sounds like a name that. Donald Duck is mispronouncing, but that's that's Jesus. his name. Wow. Oh man. Sorry, sorry, Gary. I hope you're not listening to our host slander your name here. So, um, Wikipedia has like little short blurbs for each of these tie-ins, uh-huh. and the Hawk World one is especially funny. It's Go just ahead and read it. Hawkman and Hawkwoman come out of retirement to face a robot. <laughs> 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 that really that really undercooks what what's actually going on here i think so what, what's going on okay. i mean that is true but yeah but there's nothing wrong about what what, what you just read but <laughs> um all right so where do we start with this so basically Hawk... it's qatar hall and shayera yes um and Shaira. exactly <laughs> there thank it you is. Thank there you. it is um uh, it's it's basically so, this whole issue, the two of them talk. Well, let me back up. So I'm, I'm, all I'm talking about is my fucking rereads right now. But I'm, I'm reading the Jeff Johns Hawkman right now, and in that series and in Johns's JSA, there is so much about Carter being like, uh, Kendra, we're supposed to be together, and she's like, get the fuck out of here with that. And so there's this like constant him trying to get her to accept their love. In this, they basically, a bunch of times, Shair is like, um, well, you were unavailable, so I had to go fuck somebody else. Like, there's a lot of like very weird, very personal talk about their general unavailability for each other. It feels like Ostrander's trying to do like a moonlighting, will-they-won't-they they thing, but it just comes off as really weird. Um, and I forgot how they are basically just fascist cops in Hawkworld. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I I think it is supposed to be a little off-putting or unsettling because they're really going for that character. But uh, but yeah, there's there's like a whole speech that I think it was Shayera gives at the end about how uh, the the world is black and white, and and you know if we have to if we have to break a few eggs, meaning like kill people. We've to she kill literally says, to, like, to make yeah. an omelet, you got to break a couple eggs. Yeah, exactly. 
exactly. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's funny, it's funny that this book has that tone and there's another book later that kind of, uh, deals with that same material. And I, w- I was telling the guys, or I don't know if it was both of you or if it was just Brian, but, uh, when I read this, I couldn't get over how boring the, the, the issue was, except for, it really made me think like, wow, they don't, they don't really allow heroic characters to be like this anymore, you know, and I'm putting heroic in quotes, you know, like if you think about the personalities of the, the main characters in the, like the main justice league and, and they're sort of like B level offshoots, their personalities have really gotten filed down in a lot of ways, you know, um, especially when you're talking about a team book where they're trying to get everybody together and they don't really show their personalities as much as they certainly used to in the eighties and nineties, you know? Yeah. Um, can I tell you the one thing I did like about this issue? Sure. I, I really kind of dug the art, not, not so much the line work, although I don't think there was, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. It's a little dated. It's a, it's nineties, but the just the the color scheme the shading the the backgrounds more than the characters i really liked they reminded me of like they reminded me of like a 90s anime like cowboy bebop would be like the the obvious one but like even more like outlaw star if anybody's seen outlaw star it's very much this sort of look and feel to the world that the characters inhabit and I kind of dug that. So at least like at least that got me through what was other otherwise a very boring kind of straightforward story. This is also you brought this up Brian that some of these annuals don't do as much with the uh pop, possible future premise, you know? This one does almost nothing with the possible almost future. Almost nothing. Th- yeah. This is just I love when there's a big twist like Superman becomes president or something like that, you know? This is more like uh, Qatar and Chiara become yuppies. <laughs> well, older older versions of who they were already become. You know, like yeah, yeah. just slightly futuristic versions of who they were already going to be. You know, there's no yeah. there's no twist here. There's no nothing nothing that teases your mind at all. Yeah, and I, I do want to say, as I had tweeted from the DC three account tons of nut faces in this issue just <laughs> a bevy of nut faces in this issue um but yeah overall a garbo comic just really really bad um all right that brings us to hawk and dove which is a really important comic we'll get to later so um let me just get the, the creative team here uh this is written by um barbara kessel illustrated by kurt swan which is you know incredible uh, Gabriel Morissette, Kerry Gamble, and Paris Collins. So in this issue, we see that Hawk becomes a peacemaker in the future. Um, and uh, basically Hawk and Dove, did they have a kid? I'm trying to think. My notes aren't as thorough as I wanted for this one. Vince, they my, my notes say they had a kid. Okay, that's what I thought. And that kid becomes known as Unity because they they have both order and they have chaos. Um, sure. You know. Okay. 
there are a couple of issues to deal with the kids of the various heroes. Um, but basically, instead of there being a hawk and a dove to balance that out, there is balance in one person. Um, which is a very Star Wars idea <laughs> to try and explain like how balance works, which doesn't explain balance at all. Uh, but It's a Force dyad. Yeah, exactly. She's a dyad in the Force unity. Um, but so this issue... Seemingly, you know, all, and we should say that too. The end of each of these issues is Wave Rider being like, "Well, it's not this person. Time to move <laughs> on to the next person." Um, even though we've established that in issue two, or in, in the the annual of Justice League Gear Up, he's like, "No, I'm just checking out one potential future." Because who has the time? Um, you know. <laughs> but but this issue, each of these issues ends with him saying like, "Well, it can't be Superman." even though there's three more issues of Superman, you know, or it can't be whatever. And so this issue ends with him saying, you know, nope, Hawk and Dove checked off the list. Can't be them. And, uh, but also like, doesn't it specifically like it shows, um, I was reading a little bit about this and it, and it says that, um, his way Rider says specifically, no matter the future, they fought him, but him being monarch, but never became him. Yep. Uh, um, yeah. Yeah. Making making Hank Hahn, Don Granger, the only two heroes monarch could not be. Yep. Yes. Yes. It's it's very <laughs> funny that like we see these multiple versions of other heroes, but this is the only the only book where it turns out one of them actually is the character is the one that definitively says. Nope, he, he cannot be. Yep. <laughs> you know, inconceivable. Yeah, <laughs> it's good. <laughs> yeah. Well, on that note, let's take a break. When we come back, we'll round out these annuals and talk about the second issue of Armageddon 2000. So stay tuned. Hello, we're the hosts of the Multiversity Manga Club podcast. I'm Emily. I'm Zach, and I'm Walter. Each month, we pick a manga to read and discuss among ourselves. Past books include Monster, A Silent Voice, and Pokemon Adventures. We also look back on the past month's installments of Weekly Shonen Jump, discussing the highs and lows from the Viz Anthology. We've even discussed notable manga adaptations like Netflix's Death Note. At the end of each episode, we announce next month's book club pick so you can read along with us. We're always open to suggestions for future books as well. So join us on the first Friday of every month on MultiversityComics.com, Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice. And we are back with our Armageddon 2001 discussion, moving over to The Flash. Uh, this is a very strange issue of, of a comic. Um, written by Mark Wade, illustrated by Craig Bracefield, uh, Brassfield, perhaps. Uh, my first uh, note I wrote was, New wife, new life. Um, <laughs> so it's it's jarring to read a Wally comic where Iris is not part of it at all, where because, he's not recognizable as Wally in almost any well, way. We'll, we'll get to that in a second. But like, I feel like of all of the heroes, maybe only Superman and Ralph Dibney are more associated with their significant other. Than Wally is, like they're white I, guys. Yeah, <laughs> but Wally is such, Iris is such an important part of Wally's story, and she isn't present here at all. So in this story, uh, you know, uh, Wally gets touched by Wave Rider, and 
is shot touched a by a wave rider. Yeah, exactly. The new DC comic coming out <laughs> once it's coronavirus ends. He is shot contact. forward into a contact into a future where, uh, to quote the end of Goodfellas, he gets to live the rest of his life like a schnook. He he is in the witness protection program, <laughs> um, and so therefore is drawn as Jim Belushi <laughs> throughout the entire issue. He's like. He kind of has hockey hair. He's kind of going bald, a little pudgier than you're used to seeing Wally. And, um, you know, he has this wife that he meets on the day that Wave Rider touches him. And she's in a bad relationship, and he gets her out of it. And uh, they get married. They have a kid. And the kid in here inherits the Speed Force, but doesn't inherit, like, they go through this really long-winded explanation of how Wally doesn't just have the Speed Force. He also has this, like, protective aura from the speed force and the kid doesn't get that he just gets the speed and then the kid is in a uh is playing outside he sees someone about to be hit by a car he speeds to save them but is hit by the car and goes into a coma upon which he is kidnapped by all the flashes villains um big big coma energy here yeah yeah big coma energy so it also this cover has uh Wally getting a very intense back massage from uh, Wave Rider. <laughs> um, but uh, this issue, I-, I wanted to like this issue more. I'm a big Mark Wade fan, a big Wally West fan, but I, I just felt that this issue was... I-, I don't know. It didn't resonate for me. Vince, what did you think? Yeah, I same here. It was just weird because, um, you know, Mark Wade was a pretty good Flash writer, but this doesn't feel enough like Wally to me, I think. I It was weird. It didn't look like Wally most of the time, and it didn't feel all that much like Wally, and I know that that was kind of the point, but yeah, it didn't resonate with me very much. I thought the end was kind of nice when Wally gives gives uh, the kid the ring. Yes. That, kind, that part kind of resonated. Um but yeah, other than that, this was a, a pretty forgettable issue of Wade's Flash Run, I would think. This feels a little bit like the... Um, there are so many examples of this, but there's a specific Superman issue. What's the name of the the black... Um, like the plant that gives you the, 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 mem- the dream you live in? Black the, Mercy. The Black Mercy. This very much feels like the black, Superman Black Mercy story, where he has the kid and then has to... Fr- and then basically has to knowingly forget the kid existed like we mm-hmm. give Wally this child that he that he risks his life multiple times for and really loves this kid and then the kid's just gone never coming back again yeah but it's a worse yeah. version of that story right yep did you did you mention that the villain was named Par- paradox in this no i didn't but i did think of that how there's currently if comics ever resume, the Flash is having a paradox villain right now in yeah. Josh Williamson's run. And this that is pa- this is like a paradox. Yeah, yeah, this is this is this paradox's only appearance. So, <laughs> so there you go. Yeah. So that's the Flash. Uh, then we get to the Legion Annual. This is back when Legion was taking on the year in its title. So this is, I believe, Legion 91, but this annual is uh, titled Legion 01 because it takes place in 2001. And so 
You get a little bit of Lobo here, a little bit of Vril, Vril, Vril Docks. Uh, basically, Wave Rider touches each member of the Legion to see if they could be uh, Monarch. They're not. but So he sees a future where Vril Dox becomes essentially a a uh, a a real shithead of a of a legion member and becomes like a dictator and tries to control the galaxy which i have probably read less legion and rebels than you guys have but that seems always on the just bubbling under the surface of the character would you guys agree with that you've probably read more than i have <laughs> i i think so yeah i think i i feel that that I have that similar feeling, so yeah. Right. It's it's confusing to me because when I was a kid, like around this time, I would pick up the straight issue of Legion or the acronym Legion, and as a kid, I just thought that Vril Dox was Brainiac 5 because they're both green characters in Legion books. And so for a long time, I would conflate the two of them together, and obviously they are not the same character, and there are mm -hmm. different... Uh, characteristics you know real docs is brainiac 2 they're not you know there's just there are differences there um and so i think for a long time i felt that the character was kind of uh this bipolar character who had these very different moods but one is one is very different than the other even though they look very similar so um but yeah i mean we we saw docs introduced in invasion just last week so you know this is that this is the next logical story with him as, as the leader of the legion but it's um i i thought that this this issue was fine but i didn't think it was particularly all that interesting what about you vince i i thought the way that i liked how at the end of real docs was like oh yeah i, I kind of see your point about this uh preventative policing thing maybe being a bad idea or like me being me being too uh big for my own britches or something like that um i thought that was a a nice character beat for him that feels very in line with real docs's character but other other than that again this is just this was just kind of a straightforward extension of what legion already is without any sort of without any sort of real twist sure um I do think it's interesting that this is the this is one of the futures that most closely like uh, goes down a monarch like future. Yes. By by like by having this legion be this uh, have this intense interest in a, creating a fascist police force. It, it almost feels like it's careening down the tracks towards this sort of uh, monarch ending, but then uh, turns away at the last second. Obviously. Um, yeah. But yeah, we should also say I not much more to say about that. I didn't mention written by Alan Grant, illustrated by Mike McCone, early McCone work. Um, yeah. So this is where my annual reading kind of petered out until the last one. So Vince, you want to talk about? Um, let's see what's next on the list here. Uh, New Titans Annual Seven. Oh uh, yeah. Okay. Um, I can say this was written by Marv Wolfman. Illustrated by Tom Grindberg. Tom Grindberg. Yep. Okay. So this is this this is a, a weird one because um it's a very weird uh, new well maybe it is maybe it's a regular New Titans team I don't know I I have I've never read the like later 
Wolfman Titan stuff, but it's so the team is Nightwing, Red Wing, Kilowatt, Terra, Prester John, Dagon, and Mirage. Is that is that a team that's a thing, or or is this cobbling together other characters too? I don't. So I, this is. I have read a fair amount of Teen Titans comics. I have never read this era of Teen Titans. Now I do know that. In Armageddon 2001 number two, there's a new Teen Titans team that doesn't want to reveal themselves yet. Right. So I don't know if this is sort of at a weird time in between teams or what. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that's, yeah. I don't know. Um, also, uh, Bruce Wayne is dead in this future. Um, but other than that, it's really just the, it's really just this Titans team fighting Lord Chaos um, in like, you know, like a future version of Lord Chaos. Uh, really not... This is another one where like it, there's really not any sort of a, a twist to this. Um, you know, n- none of these characters are really in any unexpected places, I don't think. Um, so there's really not much to say about this one. I didn't, I didn't think it was very good either. Um, the art was kind of rough, especially when uh, Tom Greinberg does another, an issue of another annual, uh, that we'll talk about in a little bit, but his art in that is so much better. It looks so different. I don't know if it comes down to the, the inking or what, but it's like two different Tom Greinbergs. So, <laughs> um, so really not much to say about the new Titans annual. Okay. This is sort of the the last legs of the Marv Wolfman era of Teen Titans. Yeah, that's what I figured, yeah. I believe, though, he's still there. Maybe I'm wrong. I want to say he's still there post-Zero Hour. But that's a a totally different team. That's Arsenal and Damage and Kyle Rayner and Donna Troy. That's that's interesting for for just who the team is. Um, Mm -hmm. All right, next up is the Action Comics Annual number three. And uh, this issue was written by Roger Stern, who I think was re- pretty recently on the Superbooks at this point, at least just a couple of years, and illustrated by Tom Grummet. So this is this is a classic Superman team from this era. Yeah. Um, and this he becomes Superman becomes president in this issue, correct? He he does become president. I'm yeah. really mad I couldn't get to this one. Um, oh, it's this one is worth it. This might okay. be my favorite of any of the tie-ins. Um, so, so I hate to spoil it for you because you haven't read it yet, but so so Pete Ross is running for president and then, and, and Clark is like working with him and then he's assassinated and Clark reveals himself to be Superman in, in trying to save him or resolve the situation. And, and out of that Superman overwhelmingly becomes president, of course, right? Um, Guy Gardner, uh, eventually fights Superman, uh, because he's, he's rebelling against Superman's, uh, rule of things, rule of America. It's funny because at one point, at one point, a guy says something about if I, if I take you down, do I get to become president or something like that? And I'm like, that, have you ever voted? Do you know, (laughs) do you know how an American election works? Like you don't become the president if you kill the president. (laughs) But uh, but anyway, they fight. Um, Superman eventually wrestles the ring away from Guy Gardner, and for a second, you think, "Oh, this part's re- this part's really cool." Like, 
for a second you think that Superman is going to take the ring and use it to sort of en- enhance this vision for America that he has. But uh, but instead, he realizes that that might corrupt him or whatever, and eventually he hands the ring over to Hal uh, for safekeeping, which is a really nice moment. This this annual is really good. It's it's a really keen. Roger really gets Superman right. I think um, writes a really interesting premise as far as Superman becoming president and risking going too far, but then of course not because he's. Superman, you know, it's it it's not one of these alternate futures that f- that feels like it needs to make Superman into a dark figure, you know, which is very uh which is a good thing is all of them send, tend to go that way. Yeah, yeah. And there are there are hints of it. There's there are hints of it in here where it's like okay, he's going to go too far or whatever. But it kind of pulls back, you know, and then um and then also the Tom Grummet art is Fantastic! I love me some classic Grummet. He like, is so fucking good at this point in his career. Yes, yes, and this annual is so good from an artistic standpoint. It's just, it's so classic. It's so like when he draws Superman, it's that is what you want Superman to look like, you know? Yeah. Um, oh man, I can't say enough about it. Other, I mean, he he doesn't do anything fancy or, or special other than just be like the perfect image of uh, there are a lot of artists who who were de- doing some really like rushed scratchy different sort of work in the 90s i feel like the the 90s are kind of a weird time for comic book art um a, a lot of it becomes too extreme or or s- sloppy when it comes to like proportions or sure or you know any th- stuff like that but but tom grummet is perfect when it comes to that stuff everything's proportional he's the The characters yeah he's great when i think of superman in the early 90s i think of jurgens and grummet artistically jurgens grummet yeah yeah yep um all right zach anything to add to any of this nope sounds great (laughs) we got got two two more and then we can all get back in on this so uh, Detective Comics Annual Number Four. Yeah, so uh, which is, uh, is written by Louis Simonson, another early '90s fave of mine, and illustrated by Tom Grinberg again. Yep. So this is the good Tom Grinberg. Okay. Um, and this is a really interesting issue. I think it's okay. So I think if you're gonna read any of these, based on our discussion today, I think you should definitely read all three Superman ones. And then I think if you're going to venture any further after that, I think you should read the Batman ones, even though they're not as good as the Superman ones. There, there are there is some like Buckwild stuff that happens in them. So, in the Detective Comics one, Bruce is fighting uh, Ra's al Ghul, and Bruce becomes like critically injured in the fight. He loses like the use of his legs. Uh, actually, there's there's like shades of uh, Nolan, Bat- like Dark Knight Rises, to this, right down to the art too. Um, I, I wouldn't be. Su- it's it's weird. I, I don't think it's the case, but I wouldn't be surprised if some of the art was taken from, for Dark Knight Rises was taken from this annual. It, like some of the stuff looks so uncannily close. I think. Um, but anyway, like 
Uh, Bruce gets messed up in this fight with Rachel Ghoul. Um, Rachel Ghoul dies, and Bruce assumes that they're just going to resurrect him in the in the um, Lazarus, Lazarus pit. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, Bruce goes back to Gotham. Tim is waiting there as Robin. The mansion is destroyed, and the art is really cool in this section. Like, I think this is what I mean when like this Grindberg is totally on another level from the from the New Titans annual. By the way, just talked this about. Grindberg, uh, this book Grindberg, penciled, inked, and colored. The det- detective's annual. Yes. The, yeah. That okay. That makes sense then, because I'm sure somebody inked. He had the other three one. inkers and a colorist on the the Titans one. That makes perfect sense. This book looks great. Um, the 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 image of the mansion wrecked is so cool. It, it's it, there's a point where like they're walking through the mansion and the roof is like torn off and there's water basically pouring in like a waterfall rushing towards the bat cave. And then like down in the bat cave, there's like rubble and you can see like the big penny in the background or whatever. It's 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 a very like dark and destructive version of the the bat cave and very like moody and fitting um so tim decides to become batman he resists at first but then he he knows gotham needs a batman he needs to step in for bruce he immediately gets wrecked like he gets he gets shot on his first night out and dies um <laughs> wow so basically yeah. he, he he uh he, he um oh fuck uh <laughs> He he's the he's the um God damn it. David Knight Starman. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, okay. yeah. yeah. Uh yeah, just immediately gets wrecked. Um so then Bruce starts using prosthetics to uh to to walk again and become Batman again. And he almost looks like he's he's wearing these prosthetics and it almost looks like Cyborg's old uh 80s costume where where he he's like naked except for like the 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 leg sheaths and the arm sheaths uh-huh you know it's very much like that um so he becomes batman again he eventually figures out that uh talia was behind everything including tim getting shot um and that she orchestrated all of this she didn't resurrect rachel ghoul in the lazarus pit because she was orchestrating all of this for Bruce to give up being Batman in Gotham and come be uh, Ra's al Ghul's heir with her. That's interesting. Um, okay. In Nanda Parbat or wherever that is. Um, <laughs> instead, Bruce uh, thinks better of it of than doing that and detonates a bomb, killing Talia and destroying the Lazarus Pit. So wow, he okay. breaks he breaks his one rule and. Uh, and also he dies, and also the Lazarus Pit is destroyed. <laughs> and that's the end. So, like, pretty buckwild issue of a comic. I, I, I thought that was actually pretty interesting. And Louise Simonson is really good. Like, she is so underrated, I think. I'm telling you guys, I, I know we're not going to have time to do the deep dive we want that we that I would want to do into this, but like the Death of Superman era stuff, we remember the Jurgen stuff, but Louis Simonson and Roger Stern do some really good stuff in those other super books at that time. Mm. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get to the the penultimate annual, which is the last one I didn't read, 
Adventures of Superman Annual Number Three, written by Louise Simonson again, illustrated by Brian Hitch. Really early yes. Brian Hitch. Yes. Very early Brian Hitch. Very different Brian Hitch. It's not you wouldn't recognize. You can maybe see a little bit in the faces when he draws like a grinning Superman. You can see the the the, the modern Brian Hitch come through, but. Um, but yeah, it was a pleasant surprise because it's really good art too. It's 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 not his normal style, but uh, it hit the spot. So um, this is another one I would check out if you get a chance. But um, okay, so uh, at the beginning of this, uh, Clark and Lois get married, and they're having a baby, and Lois Lane dies when the baby kicks through her doesn't kick through her stomach but like ruptures ruptures her insides and uh basically the got... fear that brody bruce uh <laughs> yeah talks about in mall rats of why superman and lois can never have a baby comes true yep the only way to prevent it would have been to wear a kryptonite condom but that, that would have kill killed him yeah so, yep. so yeah yeah <laughs> your friend <laughs> is preoccupied with superhero sex organs <laughs> Um, yeah, so, so that's the beginning of this very depressing issue. Um, and then, uh, Superman kind of becomes like, uh, swinging bachelor, uh, a la Austin Powers. No, no, more like the, um, the dark, uh, drunken Superman from the Christopher Reeve. Ah, Superman three from Superman three. Yeah. He kind of becomes that Superman. And then he's, he ends up like. He ends up just wrecked and like floating through space and Maxima picks him up. Like she's she's just cruising by in her spaceship and she's like, Well, look what dropped on my doorstep and then like pulls him into her ship, nurses him back to health, and tries to help him get over Lois. Um and of course in like a traditional Superman fashion, he'll never totally be over Lois, but uh this issue is is very odd in that it it basically completes the Maxima and Superman uh, ship. They they don't re- he he doesn't relent at the end. He stays with her, and uh, they they remain together, uh, searching the galaxy for whatever it is Maxima's looking for. <laughs> yeah, this is also like peak Maxima time. She's going to be a, an important part of the JLA when Superman dies. So, but we haven't seen. We saw Maxima show up in Supergirl a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah. But she hasn't been this major of a part of the DCU in a very long time. No. No. So I, I, re- I really dug this one because it was, um, it was just like I, I thought Simonson handled the the beginning stuff pretty well, and then I just thought the, the Superman ending up with Maxima was so wild that it, it worked for me. Again, that's another like, that's another big intriguing twist that they actually stick with for the duration of the issue, and they don't they don't cheat in any way, and and it's also it's something more than just a a, a minor advancement of these characters, you know. Right, it's right. it's a it's a uh, potential uh, it's a potential uh, closure for Superman, really, you know, like whether it's good or bad, that you know, I'll leave it up to you to decide, but. But it, it's it's closure that some of these other issues don't really give you, or yeah. you know what we haven't talked about, but how th- what this event is one hundred percent like the proto version of. What's that? Uh, Tales from the Dark Dark Multiverse. No. 
Well, it is that too. No, no, this is even more direct comparison. Okay, I don't know what. Future's End, five years later. Hmm. Yeah. Yep. I mean, it's basically the exact same thing. Just except that in Future's End, it's all the same future. That's that's true. Although they are all, a lot of them are like so different, or like don't interact at all so it has a very similar feel in practice mm-hmm. sure it's just a matter of being 10 years instead of five right. and they're all as inconsequential <laughs> all right well zach we're going to turn the spotlight over to you here to talk about justice league europe annual number two uh, hey Keith yeah so and justice... jones and illustrated by Steve Carr, Russell Braun, Marshall Rogers, Linda Medley, Keith Giffen, John Beatty, Randy Elliott, Kurt Swan, and Ty Templeton. <sighs> yeah, um, I, I liked this issue pretty well. Um, it's kind of goofy, you know, uh, Wave Rider goes around touching everyone, and there's more than one joke made about being touched, most of them from <laughs> Wally. Um, Wally so, is insufferable in this issue. <laughs> yeah, he, he he's something. Also, his his suit is kind of weird. He has like weird bug eyes. Yeah. Um, in this, it's kind of weird. Um, but so this this is a weird this is a weird team. Um, and I did not realize until about halfway through the issue that 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 the Kara there is Power Girl because her costume and and look is just so different than what i'm used to seeing um yeah she's got the yellow yeah yellow costume so this this issue really confused me being the only tie-in that i read because i went from reading the first issue of armageddon 2001 to this issue and wave rider starts um you know touching people and going into their future but their future is all in different time periods um and it's not like immediately explicitly clear that this is a weird thing or not a normal thing um at, like as it goes on wave rider is like this is really weird why are they all in different time frames um like for instance rocket red is in is in like medieval camelot times and um i think kara goes back to like world war ii in great britain or something like that um and there's there's this weird plot that i guess is related to things that were going on in justice league europe at the time where there was this cat that had a camera eye and there was this organization that was spying on them and something about a time machine blowing up and that's what causes them all to it 10 years from now to be in different times because there was an accident with a time machine that blew up um so i just want to point out that remember a couple of years ago we did that um justice league quiz of all of the characters who were in the justice league oh yeah one of the characters i missed was power girl's cat so i I believe that cat is is the titular is the power girl's cat from this oh wow okay okay well and so like over the course of this issue um you know wave rider kind of figures out what's going on um the the organization that's spying on them kind of gets outed and and somehow wave rider prevents this alternate future from happening by helping them figure out that the cat is a spy i guess 
um, and fixing it, <laughs> I guess. And then, um, kind of funny, at the beginning of this issue, Captain Adam is, is kind of like, oh, I, I have to take some time for myself. Oh, I have to step out and leave. And that's like before Wave Rider gets there. So he's gone while Wave Rider is, is touching everyone and seeing their futures. And then Captain Adam comes back and it's only been like an hour or two and everyone's like, oh, I, th I thought you were leaving, you know, to go focus on yourself or whatever. And he's like, oh, I stepped out and got a coffee and went for a walk. I'm fine now. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, then then the issue ends, yeah, with um, Wave Rider touching Captain Adam and it's very ominous and it ends with a... The last page is like a close-up view of what I guess could be seen as Captain Adam's face, but also kind of looks like Monarch's face a little bit, uh, um, which is supposed to foreshadow who Cap who who Monarch was supposed to be originally. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess now is the time to talk about this, right? Sure. So Captain Adam was was supposed to be monarch and it makes total sense we mentioned last time was it invasion or millennium where we mentioned how important of a role captain adam played it was both really yeah kind of i think this is the golden age of captain adam as an important character and this seems like a fine culmination of that story to bring into something just a little bit you know something different for the character but then <laughs> This 900 number apparently blew that, and so instead, it becomes somebody different. Um, yeah. Which we've kind of alluded to already. Yes, yes, it is It is Hawk, of, of Hawk and Dove. Um, of Hawk Nelson. Yes. <laughs> uh, yes, of Hawk Nelson. Weird odd throwback there. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, um, before we get into the second issue, can we all agree that Captain Adam would have been a much, much better choice for this? Oh, absolutely. Yes. And it is, I think, eventually retconned so that it was Captain Adam all along. But we'll talk about Which that Which is later. so, so stupid. We'll talk about yeah. it later. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, it's bad. So let's get to this issue yeah. is not great. <laughs> no, it is a jarring drop in quality from issue one to issue two. And I recognize that they felt they had to change the ending. And so perhaps that is why we had such a jarring change in tone. But it's really, it's really bad. So the issue begins with Wave Rider uh, touching Captain Adam. And we get the darkest possible story you could get. Um, I have my, my notes for this issue say that this is just like the most ham fisted way of saying how bad a society is. Like gangs are now <laughs> legal. People can be shot and it's not against the law. Uh, Zach would love that a cop can offers you offers you weed. Yeah, Zach would love that part of it. <laughs> this, but, uh... this was so ridiculously over the top. This reminded me of like the, political memes that are like this is what the other party wants the world to be <laughs> yep. like uh -huh. you know like this is this is what democrats want the world to be like cops who give you weed and gangs who just run free on the streets 
um, is what this reminded me of because it was so outlandish. Like, so Captain Adam is just walking down the street with his significant other to meet his kids and grandkids who were just who just mowed down. Mowed down. <laughs> It's not funny, but the way it's wow, presented... Wow, crime is funny to you. What are you, the freaking joker? <laughs> the way it's presented is just so ridiculous. You know, he's just like, he's walking down the street, and he's like, that sounded like gunfire right on the street where my grandkids and children were supposed to be walking. And he turns around, and they're all dead. And the cop is basically just like, well, not going anywhere. Yeah. So so this, this begins a series of unfortunate events that Lemony Snicket himself would have been angry about. Um, uh, I've never read those books. I have no idea. I just know the title. But anyway, but like, so so these people are shot, and the cops are like, "Get the fuck out of here, old man!" And he's like, "It's my kids." And they're like, "I did I stutter? Get the fuck out of here, old man!" And then he's like, "But I work for the president." And they're like, "Yeah, okay, get out of here, old man." So then he goes to the police station, and the cop offers him weed in this democratic future, and um, and then he, he, Captain Adams like, "I work for the president." And the cops like, President's a joke. Go to the morgue and get your family. So they go to the morgue <laughs> to get his family, and basically the fattest, slovenliest uh, morgue worker is there. And he's like, Yeah, morgue's full. Sent him to the dump. And he's like, The dump? And he says, What am I gonna do? Eat him for dinner? And he has donuts all over him. It's 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 like he had a seizure while eating a donut. And there's just donut <laughs> all over him. There's no way a human being has ever gotten a donut. Oh, on him the way he has known it all over him. So then they go to the dump, which is just like the most cartoonish dump of all time. It is just a sea of garbage. And Captain Adam freaks out. Wave Rider does a nut face. And Captain Adam basically destroys the entire dump. Then goes to the police station, destroys some cops, destroys the slum where the gang that shot his family are. And he basically goes like as as villainous as possible and you can tell that that is where the story was supposed to turn into him becoming monarch that at that point the heroes were supposed to confront him because he's gone too far and he is supposed to say like i haven't gone far enough tis i monarch but yeah. that's not what happens <laughs> instead wave riders like He's going to become a motherfucker, but not my motherfucker. It's not the guy. And then Monarch shows up himself because Captain Adam because Captain Adam has a bad potential future. Monarch feels that? It's very poorly he, described. He, he like his blast like his quantum energy like disrupts the time stream allowing monarch who had been trying to follow wave rider through the time stream to break out of time stasis or something and find wave rider it is how i understood it yeah it's total nonsense nonsense. yeah it's not good um it's not great um but that still leaves us like getting to who the the getting to the reveal right so uh at this point we get even more obnoxious wally west wally is written so obnoxiously in this event and this issue is the worst of all everything he says is a dumb joke and uh no one seems to call him on his shit so anyway so monarch arrives um 
heroes try and fight him and he keeps disappearing teleporting away and he goes to he he catches hot a uh, dove rather on a date with someone named sal and um monarch sees sal and is like sucks to be you and it vaporizes him into a skull and then he picks up dawn and brings her to some secret location then we see um you know Hank Hall is walking with a buddy who wants to go study, but he's going to go see the new Steven Seagal film. <laughs> Actual line of dialogue. He says, um, nope, never miss some Steve kicking some, some ass, but then Monarch shows up. So Monarch then freezes him, brings him to the same undisclosed location uh, as Dove... We see uh, the heroes trying to figure out what to do while he's eating, of course, because he has to be the fucking worst in this comic. And But there's no stretch. It's not stretchy pizza, though. It is not stretchy pizza. It's a big belly burger. So the other thing DC characters are allowed to eat. <laughs> stretchy pizza or big belly burgers. <laughs> um, but so then uh, Monarch just kills Dove for no real reason. I guess to send Hawk over the edge and turn him into Monarch. And so he kills Dove, then Hank flips out, beats the shit out of Monarch, realizes that it's him, and instead of being like, oh my god, I've killed myself, the folly of my ways, you know, damn you, history and fate for being a cruel mistress, he just goes like, yeah, okay. And then, and then rips off his clothes and puts on the monarch suit and is all of a sudden monarch. He's he's the he's that meme from the Joker where it's I'm going to become the Joker. Exactly. He uh-huh. he, he basically yeah. says I'm going to become the monarch and then puts on the monarch costume. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I'm going to become the comedian. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, I'm going to become the. It's Batman very good. Yeah. yeah, and so creates like a loop, a time loop, because yeah. he, monarch even says something like. I this is when I killed myself, you know. He he remembers. It's so dumb. God, it's the uh, worst. I hate stories like this. Yeah. Yeah, it's bad. Uh, um it's not over yet though. <laughs> no, it's not. Um so a- after he says I will become the monarch, he becomes the monarch. <laughs> and uh then we we begin to see the scene that we don't find out to the very end is the scene we see in the beginning with Matthew Ryder being pulled out of the wreckage. But first we see Matthew's aunt and uncle just abandon him in the subway. His aunt's like, should we get little Matt? And his uncle's like, nah, he's with his bullshit friends. Fuck him. <laughs> as, they're, as, they're ev- as they're evacuating a city that is going to be destroyed. And then we get the roll call of all the different DC heroes. We see the new Teen Titans. We see the Metal Men. We see everybody. basically. So Monarch has said, everyone show up in... Uh, Metropolis or Gotham, wherever they are, at three o'clock, and uh, I'll basically I won't destroy the world if you all show up here. And so Monarch, who is now just you know Hank Hall, who knows how all this work, all this stuff works because Monarch left him inst- an instruction manual essentially. Um, he says like you know, what up? I've got a, a nuclear bomb that is going to go off and is going to kill all of you. But I, but like a microsecond before, I'm gonna get out of here, and I'm gonna be fine. I'm gonna be a thousand miles away, and all the heroes will be dead. And the heroes basically say, "No, we're not gonna let you do that." And they fight him, and uh, 
essentially Captain Adam decides he is going to absorb all the nuclear blast and save everybody, which he does. Um, then we get we get my least favorite bit of dialogue here, although it's kind of my favorite. This is funny. Uh, Booster Gold is watching a building collapse, and he says, "Oh man, talk about bringing down the house." And uh, then Nutface Superman says, "That building wasn't fully evacuated yet." And then Nutface <laughs> Monel says, "Then what are we standing around for?" Like it, it takes Monel to sn- to stab some sense into Superman and say, "Like maybe we shouldn't be standing here while this is all happening." Uh, so they save people, and one of the people they save is Matthew Ryder, and we see that the person who pulls him out is none other than Wave Ryder himself. So he saves himself in the future. Literally, um, I think the only good part of this issue i agree i wrote that that's a nice way to end that story and then the the penul- the, the, sorry, the final page is uh captain adam and he's not dead he's simply in prehistoric times and so next month begins the return of captain adam yes no also known as armageddon the alien agenda which vince i'm going to allow you 30 seconds to describe for us starting now go Okay, uh, Captain Adam and Monarch fight in uh, various ages in history. Um, the uh, ancient Rome, uh, prehistoric time with dinosaurs, and of course Nazi Germany because uh, so many comics have to take place in Nazi Germany. Um, and it's my least favorite kind of uh, miniseries where like, there's really no point to this exist. It's just... Captain Adam and Monarch fighting in these different eras with no real point to it. It's just, it's just one big, long, boring fight scene um, throughout time. And um, it stinks. And, okay, so that's 30 seconds on that one. Yep. And then we get, uh, a couple months later, uh, Armageddon Inferno, which I had read because of the JSA thing before, but... Uh, again, I, I was so confused by it. So, can you give us another thirty seconds on that? Armageddon Inferno. Okay, so there's this uh, evil villain called Abraxas who I have I didn't really get or understand like where that that guy came from, but he's he's from another dimension and can't can't cross over into uh, the the DC universe dimension. But he's like calling out from that dimension and and forcing these like cult figures from around the world to join the Abraxas cult to try to help open the portal so that he can come and take over the the dimension or whatever. It has nothing to do. The only thing that it has to do with Armageddon is that Wave Rider is there. I have no idea what Abraxas has to do with anything. Uh, and basically, it's him assembling these different teams to take on these different uh, cult members that become demons. And that includes like your traditional justice league. It even includes like easy company and enemy ACE. There's one issue that deals with them heavily helping out. Uh, But the real point of this series, if there is such a point is that the JSA returns at the end of it to the regular DC continuity Whereas they had previously been stuck in the eternal battle of Ragnarok, uh, just reliving the same loop over and over again. So they get pulled out of the loop at the end of this miniseries, and that reintroduces them to the DCU. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. 
it's it's not great. <laughs> no, like I said, there there's some nuggets throughout this whole event that that are worth you know maybe taking a peek at, but man, it started with so much more promise than it ends with. Um, Brian, have you gotten to the story in JSA yet that fixes Armageddon? That fixes Armageddon? Yeah. I don't believe so. So, I don't remember where it comes exactly. I've never actually read it, but I've read a lot about it before. And so, I'm just going to read this wiki entry about this really quick. (laughs) Okay. A storyline in JSA later revealed that the ending of Armageddon 2001 had been faked by Mordu. He had created an illusion of Dove being murdered by a future hawk slash monarch in order to drive the current hawk insane. He then took control of hawk and used him to impregnate Dove so she would give birth to a child that would inherit all the powers of the lords of chaos and order. Uh, Mordu cast a spell on Dove that kept her in a comatose state for years. She did give birth to a child, but before Mordu could possess the child's body, it was instead inhabited by a reincarnated Hector Hall, which is the son of Carter and... Right, who's Dr. Fate at some point. Yeah, yeah, reincarnated Hector Hall, who aged the body to adulthood and thus caused it to become the new Dr. Fate. Uh, Much later, while searching for his wife, Lita... Hector would discover Dove and bring her out of Mordu's spell, revealing the truth of these events. She would then discover that her sister had inherited the Hawk powers after the death of Hank Hall. Uh, so that happened. And then also apparently Battle of Bloodhaven, that uh, spinoff from Infinite Crisis, retconned Monarch's origin again and, and, and made, made it, it so that Captain, Captain Adam... Adam yeah. So... So, Yeah. <laughs> Which is insane. Absolutely insane. Comics. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, overall, what do we think about this? I mean, Not it was, <laughs> it was, it was awful, but I, I still can't just like get past how like decent and promising that first issue was. And that's why I'm torn on this, because I feel like that issue was really good. I feel like some of the tie-ins were okay. And the the general idea of it is a solid one. It's just such a shitty ending that it undoes almost any good that comes from the first issue. Correct? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, like I said, even the the major themes of the first issue, as far as like um, him being a, like a like a paranoid everyman who's onto something that maybe nobody else is, is effectively dropped because now Wave Rider just spends time in the current DCU where where you know he never returns to that he never returns to his future within this story. You know, he never returns to 2030. So you never get the payoff that is set up pretty darn well in that first issue, you know? It's it's um 
that first issue is so much better than this event deserves because it deserves an ending that stays true to itself rather than rather than gets wrapped up in all these other books that are going on. And, by, and, and you know, it kind of reminds me of Heroes in Crisis in that way where like, oh, that's a good call. And what I mean by I, I didn't like the first issue of that very much to begin with. But like what I mean is the germ of the idea that Tom King talked about. Before, I can't, God, I can't. We're not even talking about Tom King, and I found a way to tra- drag him into this. But but what I well, mean to say, be talking about him pretty soon when that Watchmen book comes out. Oh boy, Ooh, I'm tugging my collar as hard as I can. I'm ripping my shirt. Um, uh, what was I saying? Oh, it reminds me of Heroes in Crisis in that the pitch that Tom King originally gave for that sounded so interesting to me. Like that sounded like a book I wanted to read. This was a first issue that pitched me on a book that I really wanted to read. And then nothing else that came after it really paid off on those themes in any satisfying way. Instead, it just tried to service this inane mystery whose ending clearly didn't matter to the writers or editorial, you know? And it, it, feels, it feels the same way with Years in Crisis. Like, a germ of an idea that's great that falls away to some mystery where the editors drew names out of a hat, you know, like it's, it's the, 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 the payoff on the theme is not there. Uh, and I feel like, you know, the last event we just read invasion, I felt like that was, you know, I I thought there were some bumps along the way, but at least from beginning to end, it pretty much stayed true to what it was trying to do. Yes, I will yeah, say that if I, we were if we were ranking these, I would put this above Millennium, but about that that would it would it would be second to last for me. Yeah. I think. Yeah, what I, I agree. What I was gonna say was that I feel like if this had lived up to issue one's potential, I might have enjoyed this more than Invasion, but it falls so far off a cliff that Invasion has to be the top of these three. Yeah. Yeah. All right, well, that does it for another installment of uh, of this crisis management series we're doing. Um, I'm having a lot of fun with this. We've been talking about how how much fun this has been. Uh, I know Vince is still, uh, you know, mad at us for doing this, but that's a whole. No, story. no, no, no. I just want my I want my new comics back. And Lawrence's new next comics week, back next week. Daphne Byrne returns, baby boy. Oh hell yeah! <laughs> God, I'm gonna be so. St- starved that i'm gonna just devour that and and force myself to enjoy it yeah no i won't so uh but on this show next week we're gonna be covering war of the gods which is a george perez wonder woman joint and uh, oh baby that's the gabagool yeah that's gonna be fun to talk about and then just to give you guys a heads up if you want to read ahead after that we're doing the original trinity event and then zero hour so stay tuned for those um, if you want to get in touch with... Oh, we're not doing Bloodlines? I'm, just, I'm, kid- I'm kidding. I'm I kidding. I think Bloodlines is actually after Zero Hour, isn't it? No, it's not, but we're not you doing sure it. You sure about I that? I, I, yes, I'm sure. Zero Hour is 1994. Bloodlines is 93. I mean, I would do Bloodlines. I don't... What, what, what was is required to do Bloodlines? Does Bloodlines oh. have, like, a, a, ma- a main it's series, like... or is it just, like... It's it was like two an dozen annuals. Crossover oh. that ran through 
DC's superhero annuals and concluded with a two issue bloodbath miniseries. Bloodbath. <laughs> the one no, I'm I... not. I'm not uh, reading that. Okay. We're, we're reading the new 52 bloodlines. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're not doing that. Um, <laughs> The one thing I will say about Bloodlines, though, is that this is what we talk about comics needing to do all the time, which is introduce new characters. Um, but most of these blow. <laughs> um, I, I will say this. When we get through all of this, if there's fan outcry that we missed Bloodlines, I'll do Bloodlines eventually. <laughs> okay. Maybe I'll do that. I mean, I mean I'm, I'm going to have to do Bloodlines eventually, but... When I get to it in my project. Yeah. All right. Well, until then, if you have to get in touch with two thirds of us, we're on Twitter. I am at Brian Needs a Nap. And I'm at Wilker Fox. If you need to find. I'm, I'm on the DC3 cast. Yes, yeah, so uh, I was going to say. You, you can find Vince. He's one third of the DC3 cast Twitter account. Uh, you can also find him uh, calling that 900 number frantically to get all the secrets about comics today. <laughs> I'm telling you, Scott Snyder's on the other other end of that line. <laughs> Thanks for listening, folks. We'll be back with War of the Gods next week. Take care. I didn't read every fucking tie-in because they were all like 60 pages and like, I'm not a madman. <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha